Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. If you want to get someone's attention, just tell them a great story. If you want to inspire someone, share your success story. I believe successful women think differently, and maybe after listening to this show, you'll agree. In the spotlight, daughter, sister, widow, and proud mother of three, Lisa Broder. Her book, A Mother's Journey Through Faith, Hope, and Courage, is the kind of book that should have a warning on it that reads, Kleenex Required. Yes, this is a sad story, but it's also a story of strength and resilience. In fact, this is a success story because Lisa and her children are alive and together as a family after a horrific crash that killed her husband and caused permanent brain injury to her son. If you've ever experienced violent, traumatic loss, Lisa's words and her wisdom as someone who got through it will inspire you. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks so much for being here. You know, I, I told you the story before we came into the studio that I was reading your book on an airplane the other day and crying so hard that the guy sitting next to me said, is there anything I can do to help you, lady? You know, <laughs> you were only 30 years old. Your husband, Mike, was 39 and your three children, Kyle, 10, Kimberly, 5, Katie, 3. Yes. So you're driving a minivan home from a family trip to the Auburn Mall and you're hit at high speed, head-on, by a drunk driver. Yes. November 1, 1997. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the night. It was a rainy night. We just got done shopping at the Auburn Mall, and we were coming around a corner, coming down Route 20. And while we were coming around that corner, it was around 6.30 at night, and we seen two headlights coming right at us, and it was a truck. And at that moment, there was really nothing we could do. My husband... His hands went flying up. My hands went out. And his last words were, oh, my God, crash. And in that second, our life was forever changed. Do you remember anything beyond that? Or is it like a movie? It's like it was still yesterday. I woke up. The dashboard was sitting at my whole left arm. I seen steam just coming out of the engine. I don't recall ever seeing my husband, Mike, my son, Kyle. We were in a minivan. Kyle was sitting directly behind my husband. My two girls was in the far back seat, but I couldn't turn because I was just so injured. I started yelling to my husband, to Kyle, to my girls. I had no idea who was dead or alive. And I can't even tell you what. The feeling of that is, not knowing. Do you still even have a family? Describe the injuries that you and your children sustained. Your your husband, Mike, was killed. He, yes. His body was actually crushed by the steering wheel. My two little girls, Kimberly, she was vomiting so much, and she no longer could speak. Everything was a stutter. She didn't break any bones but it was emotionally. Katie, she was put into a full body cast at three years old. She broke her femur. Myself, I, um, I shattered my left arm. They, I was lucky they got to save it, 21 screws and two plates. It took over a year for my arm to even be an arm again. Severe neck and back injuries, lower back and my left side. I am left disabled. Kyle, 
was two to three breaths at the scene of the accident. He had two strokes, five cranial bleeds, a subdural hematoma. He had no chance for survival. They said if he did, he would possibly be in a vegetation state and would never know who I am again. You were taken to separate hospitals for care. Kyle to UMass Medical Center, which, as we know, is a level one trauma center. They do great work there. And for a while, you didn't know whether Mike was dead or alive. You didn't know where your children were. I I cannot imagine your fear because you were brought to a different hospital. Tell us about that. The injuries, there was just too many injuries to bring us to the same hospital. So the man who hit us and myself were brought to St. V's. And everyone else was brought to UMass. But I was, um, my father was with me, and I just kept going in and out of it. They kept giving me medicine to keep me sedated. And whenever I would come to, I'd be like, where's my children? Where's my husband? Is he alive? I had no idea. Nobody would tell me until hours and hours later. And then your dad gave you that news. Yes. And my father told me, and... I was just crying, like, no, this can't be. But I was so sedated. I still didn't comprehend what was happening. They knocked me out again. That night, I was. they sewed my thumb back on because my thumb was off. They got me in a condition where they could transport me to UMass to be with my children. And I was in, put into surgery that following morning. When I woke up from that surgery, that's when reality hit when the doctor came in to tell me about my injuries. I didn't want to know about myself. I wanted to know about my husband and my children. And that's when reality was confirmed. My husband was never coming back. How? How can that be? This is when I needed him most. And he's not here. He wasn't doing anything wrong. My children, they told me how severe they were. They told me they didn't expect expect Kyle to last the night. Doctors really did quickly realize that having you together as a family was so important. At one point and throughout your care, once you were moved to UMass Medical Center, you were there in the same room with your daughters. Yes. And you were right down the hall from Kyle. Yes. Describe the first time you saw your son. I was put into a wheelchair and I went to see him first. He looked so different. His head was shaved. Machines keeping him alive. Everything was just attached to him. He looked so innocent. Ten years old. Couldn't move. The tube down his mouth. I can't even tell you what it... It was just the most saddest thing. I held his hand and I told him how much I loved him. And I told him that we had to fight. And I just promised him that I would never leave him and I'd be right there for him. And I went to see my girls. When I walked into that room, they started screaming. Why ain't I walking? Why are you in a chair? Why are you so injured? Where's daddy? Where's Kyle? Katie's in a crib with a body cast on. She couldn't move. I couldn't even hold her. She's in so much pain. The screaming that took place. Kimberly was there with the most saddest face. She was so sick from vomiting, and she just couldn't speak. And it wasn't long after that, because there were so many people at the hospital. I didn't want my girls knowing from somebody else that they lost their father. So tell me about that moment when you had to tell your girls. 
It wasn't long after I was in the room, and I asked everyone to leave. And they brought Kimberly over to me. They put her on. I asked them to bring her to my bed so I could hold, try to hold her. Katie, I held her hand through the crib, her little fingers. And I let them know that Daddy had died. Now that he was going to be with us in a different way. He was an angel now that was going to guide us and protect us, but he would always be with us and never leave us. They just started to scream, No, I want my daddy. I want my daddy. It was, it was awful. Just so that our listeners can frame the story, I'd love to talk about you and Mike a little bit. Oh, he was a gem. Total gem. Tell us about him. Well, he really Very taught, handsome. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, he taught me a lot about life. That's for sure. He, um, he always knew I was stronger than what I ever thought I was. He was just an amazing man that just loved his family. The best father, husband, anyone could ever ask for. And I you're, was so blessed. You're both from the same area, correct? Yes, Southbridge. Tell us about how you met. I started working at United Lens, and we met at a soda machine. And we were both ordering a Diet Coke or what? <laughs> yeah, I would go get all the girls their sodas in my office because I worked in the office. And he would always just come over every day and just talk. And at that time, I was going through a divorce, Kyle's biological father. And so we just became friends and just talking. And, and he just couldn't believe everything that I was going through at that such young age. And he was just a friend. And actually, I didn't even find him handsome. <laughs> he was a friend. I didn't yeah. even look at him like that. He had a beard. I was scared. He looked, you know. Yeah. And, um, and then as the time went on, what, maybe six, seven months after, um, I finally, he asked me out. And then I finally said yes. And we went running for our first date. I couldn't run anymore. That was in high school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, I wish we had a webcam because the smile on your face when you talk about him, I think, oh, is, is just beautiful. Just yes. beautiful. So you got married and yes. you had two beautiful little girls. Yes. He and adopted Kyle. I wanted you to tell that yes. story because the book describes Kyle coming home from school and saying, how come my name isn't the same as Daddy's name and your name and Kim and Kate's name? Yeah, he then wanted, what happened? Yes, he wanted to be a broder so bad. So he became a broder, and yes. you guys went to court, and he got to wear a suit, yeah, and so that happy. must have been a beautiful day for your oh, family. Oh, it was. I wish I have it taped. <laughs> That's one thing I don't have taped. You know, I also read that you have, you're one of eight brothers and sisters? Yes, I'm the baby. All right, because we're taking a little break from the Kleenex action here. So yeah. let's talk about when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. You're from Southbridge, which is, yes. for those of us, you know, we've got we've got listeners all around the world. So describe Southbridge, Massachusetts, and tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, well, back then, Southbridge was much, much different from where it is now. Um, I just grew up in a regular little house with um, all of my sisters and brothers and at my grandparents a lot. Um, there every single day. My grandparents were the best grandparents. They really taught us so much. Very close-knit family. Yes, yes. After you and Mike got married, you lived on a street with your in-laws too, right? Everybody we lived all right next to each other. Yep. Everyone could come in and out as they wanted through the upstairs. It was like a miracle maze. <laughs> One of the silver linings, besides the comfort of your faith, 
is your family. As mm-hmm. we've discussed, you're one of eight children. Was there a golden rule for you and Mike and these kids when you were raising them? Oh, God, I think the golden rule was just to be there, love them. Love them and just be the best parents that we could absolutely be. Faith is a very big part of your story. Tell me about Father Diorio, the famous healing priest. When he found out what happened, he came and he would just pop up late at night, come during the day. And it was just amazing. Like one time I was sleeping, he called me first and he just said, do you need anything? Can I do anything for you? And I said, I need strength. I am so weak. I need strength. There were so many medical decisions for Kyle that needed to be made. And he said, okay, I'm going to pray for strength. And he says, I'll be there in the morning. Well, I fell asleep. That night I decided to take some pain medicine because I didn't take a lot of it. I think it was maybe about an hour or two hours later. It was maybe around 10 at night. I felt somebody doing the sign of the cross on my forehead. And my eyes just popped open, and I honestly thought I died or something happened. Waking up, seeing a priest right in front of me, and I was like, what are you doing here? (laughs) And that's when he told me, God told me you needed me. I needed to be here. Little did I know what was going to happen next. But the doctors came through the room, and they said, we're losing Kyle. Call your family in. He's not going to make the night. Father Diorio hurry up and left me, went to Kyle. They were getting me up, putting me in my wheelchair, calling the family to come in. And I'll never forget when I looked into the room, Father Diorio is just an amazing man. He was putting all kinds of oils over Kyle, praying, and he has beautiful several languages that he sings while he prays. And it was like a moment where it was just so beautiful, you couldn't even interrupt. You just wanted to sit back and just watch it. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. After that, after he was done, then that's when I got to go in, and that's when I held Kyle's hand, and I just told him how much I loved him, and this was it. He had to make a decision. If he was going to stay with mom, I promised them I would never leave them and I would be here for them always and we would fight and try to give, get better. But I also told them, if you just decide to go with Daddy, it was okay because I know Daddy would take care of you. And seconds after, it wasn't long. The machines all started going off. He started to come back. And what I really believe in my heart is that he was on his way out But I do believe that his father sent him back because his purpose here on earth was not done. And I do also believe that his father knew that I needed him to live and to be able to go on in life. Tell us about the day that Kyle came out of his coma. 
He was comatose for how long? A year. So it's not really a particular day. It's a long, long process. But seven weeks before we left UMass, Kyle finally started to breathe on his own. And then after that, the following week, we went to Spalding Rehab. But with Father Diorio, right before that, I don't know if you're getting at that, but with Father Diorio, he, Kyle was breathing so hard. If you ever heard someone breathe like, <gasps> like someone yeah. who has croup, mm-hmm. well, Kyle was breathing like that. And the doctors told me he, it was the brainstem. There was no way of stopping him from breathing like that. And they said the only way was to give him a trach. And I refused the trach because I didn't believe that's what it was. And for some odd reason, Father Diario showed up again. And it was just amazing. And Father Diario put his two hands on his neck. And he took Kyle's neck and he just tilted him back. All of a sudden, the breathing got normal. And we were like, oh, my God, what did we just see? And the doctor was like, okay, now he's going to have to stay like this for the rest of his life if you want him to breathe this way. And then after, after a couple hours, we took his neck and put it back down. It was all perfect again, perfect breathing. Wow. It sounds like you've been surrounded by miracles for a yes. while, haven't you? Oh, yes, I still am. <laughs> Kyle's a miracle with all, everything he does. Thank you for listening to the story behind her success. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry, and in the spotlight, a woman who has known the kind of pain and loss that could have destroyed her. She is Lisa Broder, author of the book, A Mother's Journey Through Faith and Hope and Courage. How did you hold on to your hope? How did you stay strong? My husband and my children. We had so many dreams of how to raise our kids. So many things that we wanted them to succeed and go to college and do well in life. And I knew if I could not keep it together, I knew I would fail. And if I failed, my kids would not be where they are today. 20 years have passed. Can you give us an update? Tell us how your children are doing. Let's start with Kyle. Kyle has had 27 surgeries. We're still in hospitals all the time. He has procedures every 13 weeks and every 14 weeks. It consists of 30 to 50 needles of Botox, which is one sedation. He's very happy um, through, especially when presentations, meeting the students and arm wrestling, arm wrestling them, and he puts them down. So the students are really getting a different message to say, boy, this kid is strong and, you know, don't be afraid of me. We, we give so many different messages. But anyway, he's doing amazing, and he's just totally happy, and we keep him very, very busy. Talk about that, because this child is spreading love all around the world. Yes, he is. We do a lot of fundraising. We raise money all the time for different charities. Right now, we're raising money for the Center of Hope program just by collecting cans or um, and bottle returns, and maybe I might stop baking again because then I really sell it fast, <laughs> raise the money fast. But um, he has a sport again. He does 5K and 10K races, and he's going to be doing his first Ironman this um, summer. And I travel with him. I take him everywhere. I don't treat him like he's paralyzed. I let him experience life just like we do. So talk about his, his permanent injuries. How old is he now? He's 30 years old. And he is left totally paralyzed with three limbs. He has one arm, his right arm, that he can use to use his iPad. 
right now he's really into painting. He's loving painting. But he um, he makes the best of it. The, he does have his high times, though. It's not all easy. You know, he's going through the phase, why can't I be married? Why can't I have children? I want these things. But that is something I can't provide for him. So he's got to make the best of it. But like I always try to tell him, Kyle, yes, you did get a raw deal in life, but let's look at what you do have, not what you don't have. And the struggles that people have, regular people that go to work every day, get married and have their families, drugs, alcohol, how people just do not make it today. Let's talk about your daughters. How are they doing? My daughters are wonderful. Um, my Kimberly, she is a nurse. She graduated last year, and she actually works at UMass in the maternity ward. And she is actually getting married in June, and Kyle has given her away. And she's just beautiful, and she is so much like her father. Um, she resembles him. She has his personality. She's she's wonderful. And what Katie, about little Katie? Katie, yes. Katie just graduated from PA school. She's been married for two years. And... Um, Kyle gave her away also, and I'm hoping by summer, maybe we'll be expecting a baby. (laughs) (laughs) How did your kids turn out this well under all of this hardship? I have to say. How did you do it? I didn't do it alone. I have to say it was a tribe at first, especially all the care that I've had taking care of Kyle, because I was in the hospitals with Kyle all the time. I had to have care for my girls. After I came home from the hospitals after a year, that's when I had to really step in and take charge over again. Mom is back. These are the rules. But I have to say, who was my the next person in line that helped me raise those girls? And I have to tell you, it was Kyle. And you say, how? How did Kyle do it? Well, we had a whole life on video. Kyle loved to watch videotapes. And so when Kyle was screaming in pain for years, and I mean years, he screamed in pain with his body just twisting, his bones twisting. Katie and Kimberly were with Kyle so much in bed, trying to make him happy, singing him nursery rhymes, singing whatever they knew, ABCs or whatever. But also, Kyle liked to watch those tapes. So by watching those tapes, it showed the kids their father. It made them remember their father and showed them a family life. So... That had a real huge impact, but also through their teenage lives, they would go to Kyle and complain, oh, I don't want to be going to school. I have to get up early or I have to take tests, and Kyle would set them straight. Even though he had trouble speaking and it took a lot for him to get it out because he uses a speech device, he would always tell them, you're lucky. Be thankful. I'll trade places with you any day. You don't know how good you have it. He's a loving, giving, generous child who's now 30. (laughs) Young man, yes. We actually had his 30th birthday as a Facebook event. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because he had so much people that love him. I made it a Facebook event, and he had about 250 to 300 people that showed up. The process of writing a book. In order to do this, and I know you told me that there have been so many people who have said to you, Lisa, you've got to tell your story. Well, you finally decided you were going to sit down and do it. Mm -hmm. How long did it take and what was it like to go through this all over again? It took me five and a half months. I did six to 12 hours a day writing. I took weekends off. 
I cried and cried. Every chapter, I have to say, I cried, reading it over and over, and the tears would just always come down. So I knew if I was going to finish the book, I had to just keep going at it because I knew if I stopped, you won't go back to it. People will say to me, how do you live this kind of life? How, how do you do it? Well, what you got to do is you're dedicating your life to, like me, I had to dedicate my life to my children. I was so used to being in hospitals. Once you change your life and you try to take breaks, it's harder to go back, if that makes any sense. Because you're getting a, a taste of life again. But that isn't your life. Your life is hospitals and all these decisions. So if you take that step back, I think it, depression will set in more, if that makes sense. Yeah. So to me, I just had to keep going, doing what I had to do for all those years. When I was home with my children, we tried to make the best of it, take them places, form memories, just like when Kyle came home. The book is called A Mother's Journey Through Faith, Hope, and Courage. The author is Lisa Broder, and she's our guest today on the story behind her success. We haven't talked at all about the man who hit your car that night. Can you talk a little bit about that? Meeting him for the first time was devastating. He didn't show any remorse, any feeling, nothing. We have been to two trials. He got out. The first time, by just by pleading guilty, so he got a low sentence. Then he um, was out for a few years, and then he went back in for um, driving on the wrong side of the road, speeding again, doing cocaine, and then he was sentenced again for another um, 10, 10 to 15 years, and he served another um, 12 years. But he is out. He got out last June, and he's only a few miles down the road from me, and I did run into him at a CVS in Chelton where we both live. And I have to say, I was quite shocked when I seen him. He came right up to me like it was nothing. And I just said to him, do you know who I am? And he just said, yes, hi, Lisa. And I just said, are you driving? He said, yes, with the um, breathalyzer. And I said, are you working? And he said, yes, part-time. And I said, how are you adjusting? He said, it's very hard on me. I says, it's very hard on you. I says, why? He said, because everywhere I go, I'm reminded of Kyle. I couldn't feel bad because look at what you did. But I let him know. I didn't yell at him. I didn't hit him. I didn't scream at him. Part of you must have wanted to. You know, I really think it was a um, therapy session for him, yeah. believe it or not. And I, I think deep in my heart, I helped him that day and also... I just let him know what he took from us. And I also asked him, did you ever shed a tear? Because I never seen you shed one tear all the times we did our victim statements and seeing them. And he actually said, yes. I said, oh, yeah. I said, when? And he said, reading my book. So he's, my, he's read this book. My book is in all state prisons. And he read the book. And he said that's what hit him. And actually, he's going on the third time reading it when I seen him wow. in the summer. Have you forgiven this man? God, I never give any thought to the word forgive, to be honest with you. I think I have more acceptance of it, and I don't dwell on him. Because I know if I dwell on him, I will not survive, and all my strength goes into my kids. But to actually say that I forgive him, I can't answer that truthfully. 
Someone once told me, we're here on earth to love and to learn. What has this lesson been for you? I'll tell you, <laughs> when you're hit with all these challenges, it's all in how you think. If you wake up every day and say to yourself, I can't do this, I can't handle it, you're not going to handle it. But if you wake up and say, I can have my cry, and now I've got to deal with the day because my children need me and I need to be the strongest I can be for them, you will make it. Success means different things to different people. How do you measure success? Well, I look at my children. That is a complete success. I see how happy they are, especially Kyle. Every day he wakes up with a smile and he's happy. And what's planned for today? What are we doing? So for me, that is my biggest success. And now my book and our presentations, knowing how it's saving lives and the feedback I get from adults and children have just been amazing. So I know what we're doing is working. And so for me, something bad happened and we turned it around and it's we're making something of it and we're bringing change. And it's the next generation that's going to bring that change. So if we can bring this awareness to a whole different level by doing our presentations in our book, it's worth it. Tell me a little bit about the presentations. Well, the presentations are very heart-wrenching. I show a video for 35 minutes. The audience will see Mike as a real person. He sings. We show our family life. We show our hardships. We show Kyle in the hospital. My girls each give a special message of what it was like to grow up without their father and the hardships of watching their brothers suffer so much and mom always being in hospitals. We bring you reality, but we also bring you very inspirational because we never gave up. We kept going at it, and as a family, sticking together, it has so many different messages. I can't even tell you all in this short time. Sure. But one important message is that I try to bring awareness to say, just because Kyle is in, is in a chair does not make him any different from you. He just wants to be loved and wanted and accepted just like we want to be. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest today on the story behind her success. And I want to encourage our listeners to please buy your book and to support you in that way as well. And I know you've got a strong message about drinking and driving. Oh, yes. Make good choices and decisions because sometimes you don't have a second chance at life. And no, you wouldn't wish this tragedy on anyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. This is a new series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. Connect with Candy anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y dot com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story? We'd love to hear it.